0: Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at McConnellRoadBaptist.org. There's a there's a thought here that Peter is now transitioning from. i just try to give you a sense of where, what he's talking about. He's been talking about in chapter 1 who we are, who we are as Christians. We are, we, we are what we are because we've been given a gift, a gift of faith. That's what he talks about in verse 1. We are what we are because of Jesus. We are what we are because of something that is, bigger than anything that we can ever imagine. We are what we are because of all these promises that God has given to us. We are what we are because the Lord works in our hearts. And he even tells us towards the end of that, we need to remember that. I mean, that's is worth spending some time meditating on. And then he closes out chapter 1. Of course, we understand that Peter didn't write chapter 1, and then chapter 2, and then chapter 3. They put those chapters and verses in later, but he wrote those words. So that section that we call chapter 1, he ends that by really just reminding us that what we've got in terms of the Word of God, what we know about Jesus, the knowledge of God that we have, it's given to us by God on purpose. The Father verifies it. The Son, Jesus Christ, validates it by coming on the scene. And the Holy Spirit is the one who breathes it out, Make sure it gets pinned down. So literally, what you have in your hands, and I just want y'all to remember this, this book we call the Bible, this book is God's very words. They have been put into your hands so that not that you can have a pretty book on a shelf, Not so you can walk around and look spiritual or religious, but that you can actually hear God's voice. And by the way, we don't hear God's voice primarily through dreams or audible voices and those sorts of things. God has went to the trouble to write it down for us. He had men that the Holy Spirit moved to write it down for us. One of the things he says there in verse 16 of chapter 1, he says, "...we've not followed cunningly devised fables." So this thing that we call Christianity, this Christian life that we live, this is not a fairy tale. It's not a made up thing. One thing as a as a um, little bit of a rabbit trail, if you don't mind uh, indulging me for just a moment, but one of the things that I have constantly struggled with in my own uh, life, particularly growing up in the church, with my dad being a pastor and growing up around all this, one of the things that easily starts to happen, is your religion your christianity becomes just sort of the backdrop it's almost like santa claus at christmas it's just a thing doesn't mean anything it's just what goes on if you really get underneath it there's not a lot of substance to it but it's kind of fun it's just what you do and one of the things that i've had to struggle with and go back through is to say lord i don't want the facade of this i don't want that i want if, that, if it ain't real, just go ahead and let me know that so I can go on about my life. But if it's real, I want to see that and I want to understand that and I want to feel the reality of it. For me, my, my personal experience has been one where it is very easy for me to drop into the religious mode of things. I know the right words to say. I know how to look. I know how to talk. I know what to do. And y'all will think I'm a good person, but I don't want you to think I'm a good person. I actually want to experience the reality of God. Now, that's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but really what Peter is talking about here is this thing that we have, this thing I keep calling a thing, he uses the phrase, these things. That's his phrase, the English translation of it, these things. He's saying this thing, these things that we have, they are actually real. There's something to them. There's something There's something powerful to them, something real to them. But he says that in chapter 2, chapter two he says, there's some folks that are going to come along that's going to try to take you off that path. He refers to them in verse 1 as bringing along, here's a phrase that I want to focus in on for just a moment, damnable heresies. You can see that in that first, probably the second half of verse 1, he talks about these false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. For just a moment in these first few verses, I just want to give you a thought about the nature of these damnable heresies. He says here that these damnable heresies are as ancient as the Old Testament, as ancient as Micah and Balaam. These are two false prophets, you may or may not know. Um, He says there that these were false, but there were false prophets also among the people. He's talking about the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the Israelite people. There were false prophets back then. There was a prophet that allowed himself to be hired out in Numbers chapter 22. He would basically say anything that you wanted him to say, and he'd ask God to let him say it, if you'd pay him enough money. His name was Balaam. Of course, God wouldn't have a whole lot to do with that, so much so that he actually had a donkey that Balaam was riding around stop him and talk to him about it. Now, that's how serious God took his word. He'll take a donkey and make you look like a donkey, if I can say it that way. He'll do that to you if he needs to, and that's exactly what he did to Balaam. That's exactly what he did to Balaam, but but the main reason I mentioned Balaam is because there were false prophets all the way back in Numbers. You go over in Judges, there's, to me, one of the most interesting stories of a false prophet that I've ever read, and it's actually bigger bigger than just this one man, but Micah, this man named Micah, it's really a story about Micah, this man in Judges chapter 17, but he is actually an idol-worshipping Israelite. And he goes out and he finds a Levite, which was basically this priestly tribe. And they were supposed to be serving the Lord and serving in the, in the tabernacle at the time. But he finds this Levite and he hires him to be the priest over his, basically his little idol worshiping shop. And this priest, of course, or excuse me, this Levite, I want to call him the right thing. He a Levite, not a priest, but he goes along with it. He does it just fine. He so he blesses this house that was full of idol worship. This house that was absolutely full of everything that was wrong. But the point of this is, this is not new. These damnable heresies are not new. It's an old trick of the devil. And he says there in verse 1, there were false prophets among you, even as there shall be false teachers among you who do these damnable heresies. This is something that not only to the people that Peter was writing to at his contemporary time, but I want you all to hear me very clear, and I think this is what the point of this scripture is for us to hear, is that this is something that is happening among us today. There are false teachers bringing in their damnable heresies. There, It's as ancient as the Old Testament, but it's also slowly and subtly introduced. I'd like to think that when the devil comes in, he's got his horns on his head and his pitchfork in his hands and and you can just smell the sulfur rolling off of him i'd like to think that that's what happens but that's not how he works usually he's much more subtle which is why he says that these false teachers who are among you that's for one they're right there and the, they're they're sitting on the pew i'll ask you like jesus or as jesus suggested to his disciples uh, one of you one of you which one of you is it I don't know, maybe it's me, maybe it's you, but that's, that's the thing we ought to be looking out. It's among us, but he goes on to say that these false teachers among you who privately shall bring along damnable, bring in, excuse me, damnable heresies. They're privately, this idea that they're subtly sneaking it in. It's under the radar. It doesn't just show up. He does it. these false prophets will do it exactly like the serpent did to Eve in Genesis chapter three. Do y'all remember how he did it? He shows up and as best as I could tell from the Genesis account, I know if a snake started talking to some of us, we'd scream and run the other way. I understand that because snakes have a reputation today. But as I understand it from the Genesis account, he's kind of a good looking fella as creatures go. He was kind of an interesting dude. He was subtle. He was slick. He was smooth. He was something that Eve, when she started talking to him, wasn't surprised he was talking to her. So that tells you something right there. He starts talking to her and what does he do? He just He brings up a conversation she had just had with God, and he just small, incremental way saying, are you sure? He's not even accusing anybody of anything. He just says, are you sure? That's what God said. Are you sure? Just not, you know, I'm not saying anything, not pointing any fingers, but are you sure? That's what he does. He's not being big or blatant with his heresy or his false teaching, but He just subtly brings it in. And that's how it comes into our churches. That's how it comes into our lives. That's how it comes into our Facebook feeds. That's how it comes into the books that sit on our shelves. That's how it shows up. It doesn't come in big ways because y'all aren't going out and buying the the book of Satan. No, what you're doing is you're watching something that sounds like a good preacher. You're listening to something that sounds like it's a, a good message from God or at least has a moral tint to it. But that's where the devil is going to put in his falsehood. So this damnable heresy, it's as old as the Old Testament. It's slow and subtly introduced, but it's always an anti-Christ message. Don't you see this in in, um, the last part of verse 1? He says there that these that are bringing in their damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. I want you to understand this one thing about every false prophecy that or false prophet that you'll ever hear, ever, anywhere, ever. I will say that again. Any, ever, any false prophet will always have this characteristic. And you can always ask it, there's a litmus test you could put against it. What do they do with Jesus? Anybody. You can look at any of them. They will tell you that Jesus is a good starting point but you need a little something more. They'll tell you that Jesus is great and he is God, but he is your key to what you really want. Wealth, happiness, health, or whatever else that we desire. They will tell you that Jesus is interesting, but what you really need are spiritual gifts or secret knowledge or buy my book or take my course. That's what they're going to tell you. They're going to... Make you have you need to be able to ask the question to myself, listen, is Jesus sufficient? Does Jesus satisfy me? Is Jesus the one who bought me and he saved me? Is that who Jesus is to me, or do I need something more? And I want to tell you that even the I can tell you that there are independent, fundamental Baptist. Died in the wool good men and good women who will preach and teach things that will go to the bible but when you look at what the ultimate message they're sending you is you need jesus but you need this other thing too and it's subtle remember i told you it's not going to slap you in the face it's going to be subtle and you've got to listen to that and you've got to say is this a false teacher because it's going to be against christ because you would understand that Jesus died on the cross. If there was any other way, don't you think that the Father would have had another way to do it? There was no other way but Jesus dying on the cross. I was convicted today, I was listening to something, I was convicted by this thought that a lot of times in my preaching I will come to the conclusion of my sermon and, and I want to give the opportunity for one to come to faith in Christ or maybe as a believer for you to take a moment to, to respond to the message, and I, and I will continue to do that. I think it's a wonderful thing to do. I think it's an opportunity we should have, but a lot of times in my own heart, I'm just telling you what's in my own heart is, you know, I wanna make sure I say the right thing or do the right thing to get them to respond. And the convicting part of this is, that means that my message has gotta be added to Jesus. It's Jesus plus Matthew Tilley preaching, and that's not what saves people. Do you know what saves people? Jesus saves people. Now again, my job is to share the truth of Jesus Christ, but I believe, and I do believe in this, that the Holy Spirit of God is real, and he's moving, and he's active, and what, what activates him, if I can use those terms, what activates the Holy Spirit is not my emotion. It's not my personality. It's not the force of my words. It is the gospel. It is the truth of God's word. That's what he responds to. You remember that verse? We've talked about it a lot, that that his word doesn't return void. You've heard people talk about that all the time. Do you know why that is? Is because when when God says something, it happens. And how does it happen? It happens when the Holy Spirit, as it says in the book of Acts, he falls on some people. And that's what we need to see is, yes, we want to preach Jesus. We want to preach the truth. But we want to see God do the work instead of me and you do the work. And again, I want you to understand that, that you can test every word that you hear from anybody that claims to be a preacher, that claims to be a teacher, that claims to be a professor of what God's Word says. You can test it whether or not it is true or not to what do they do with Jesus. If they do not make much of Jesus you might as well just write them off. They might have some good things to say. You can find good things up just about anywhere. Was it, a a blind squirrel find a nut every now and again? But they might have some good things to say, but they're not going to be helping you in your growth, in your spiritual life. If these people want to add something to that, or even... even suggests that you need something else, living up to a standard, looking forward to some better thing. If that's what they're promoting, you do not need to listen to that person. They are a false teacher. Whether they know it or not, whether they mean to or not, that's what they're doing. Because false teachers, damnable heresies. That's an important phrase. I didn't emphasize that probably enough, but I'll just say it one more time. Damnable heresies. It will send people to hell if they are an antichrist message at all. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that'll follow it. Look at verse two, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. Many shall follow their per- pernicious ways. A lot of people are gonna follow this false teaching. Here's the problem with false teaching, and, and I'll, I'll admit to you, sometimes I get a little jealous of watching some of these guys preach and teach They've got a following, people look at them and they think, I'm as as susceptible as the next person about wanting that adulation. I know that and I I don't know, maybe y'all are not the same way but some people are like that, that they want that praise and they like that and there's something about that that makes me go, wow, I wonder what they're doing that I'm not doing. Maybe I should be more like that because false teaching is gonna be popular. It's gonna be engaging. There's going to be some people that'll, there'll be a lot of people that follow. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go, many, many there be that go in thereat. There'll be a lot of people there, he says. But what we have to continue to remember is no matter how appealing it might seem to follow the methods and even the the teachings of some people who are preaching damnable heresies. It's the preaching of the cross that while it's foolishness to this world, the truth of the matter is, truth of the matter is, let's just boil it down, what does it really say? When you look at this world, even today, even 100 years ago, 50 years ago, pick your time period, the followers of Jesus. I'm talking about the true followers of Jesus. I'm not talking about people who sit in a church pew. I'm not talking about people who say they're Christians. I'm talking about people who are actually putting their faith in Jesus. That's a small and often a disparaged crowd. They're looked at as foolish. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But it is unto us that are saved power of God that's why we preach Christ he says under the Jews it's a stumbling block and under the Gentiles it's foolishness let let me just make this point I'm I'm probably preaching more to Matthew than I am anybody in this room but I I need y'all to hear that when we preach what we preach there's going to be some people that will say why don't you make it a little more exciting why don't you preach with a little more passion? Why don't you be a little more flamboyant? Why don't you change up your message a little bit or do something different? And, and, and let, let's be honest, I think we could all stand to be a little more creative in how we preach the gospel. Don't miss that. There's nothing wrong with taking something and being interesting with it because I think the scripture is interesting. But if I do so at the risk of not preaching the truth of the gospel, If you, in your sharing of the gospel with your friends and with your family and your coworkers, if you do that, if you just sort of beat around the bush or if you kind of mash down the hard edges of it just because you don't want to offend somebody or don't want to hurt somebody, you want to draw them in, if that's what you're trying to do, let me tell you, you're missing the real deal here. It's like if you need uh, uh, some medicine injected into your veins, but I don't want to prick your skin. No, you're going to have to bleed a little bit for that to get in you. You're going to have to hurt a little bit for that to come in. I mean, Sister Wendy's been going through this chemotherapy and she can tell you be one of the first and there's others in this room that have done it that tell you that stuff doesn't feel good. But why are you doing it? Because it's attacking what's wrong. It's fixing what's wrong. The same thing with the gospel. It does exactly the same thing. But here's what these false teachers do. They'll sugarcoat They'll, sugar, they'll put sugar all over it, it'll taste good, it'll feel good, it'll sound good, and there will be a lot of people that follow after it. But he says there in the last part of that, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, there will be a lot of those same, those same people will be led away from the truth. The truth will be evil, evil spoken of. You see, the devil wants nothing more <clears throat> than to blind the people of this world to the truth of the gospel. He's happy for you to just kind of mute your testimony a little bit. He's happy for you to take out the hard edges of, yeah, deny yourself and pick up your cross. He's, He's happy with that. He wants folks to be blind to the truth of the gospel. And when we do that, we are leading folks away from the truth. We're like the Pharisees, and Jesus says in Matthew 23, he says, you're making them two times or twofold children of hell as you are. Twice the child of hell that you are. Of course, there's a reason that a lot of these false teachers do what they do. He says there in verse 3, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words, fake words, made up words, false words, lies, is what he means there, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. The nature of damnable heresies, among many other things that I've already said to you, but the one thing I need you to understand, there's one reason it goes on. It's pretty profitable. It's a good way to make some money. Good way to sell some books. Good way to get on the stage somewhere. It's a good way to get a lot of people following you on social media. It's a good way. It's all because of covetousness, that desire to have what we don't have. They will use, he says their feigned words. They will lie to you. They will either knowingly lie, and I'll, I'll give some people some credit to say, listen, maybe they don't know that they're lying, but at the end of it all, they're telling you false things, things that are not true, that are provably not true from the scripture. I'm not even talking about like some of the gray areas. I'm talking about some black and white, Jesus said it kind of stuff. Go look at him. And they'll do that, he says they're to make merchandise of you. They're glad to take your money. They're glad for you to go to their concert. They're glad for you to go and sit in a crowded auditorium and watch them say what they're going to say. They're pursuing it for filthy lucre. Now if you stop right there, and I'm about out of time, but I won't keep you a whole lot longer, but if you stopped right there, it can seem like there's not a lot of hope. (laughs) Man, these guys are winning. They're everywhere. It's even tempting to join them. I'd be lying to you if I, not because not because I like falsehood, but because sometimes the falsehood can be dressed up in a nice, pretty package. I am often tempted to chase after it. I just want to level with you. It is tempting to me because I can see how going after those things, those making those small incremental compromises in my doctrine, in my presentation, and how I do some things, if I can just do that, that I can actually get, as they say, the grass looks a little greener on that other side. Now, if y'all don't feel the same way, I just confess my sin to you. And y'all don't judge me too harshly, please. But that's the, I think that's what Peter's trying to warn us against. It's going to look greener over there. It looks nicer. It looks greater. It looks better. But he says... Don't don't we not stop in verse three. He says it sure can seem like they're winning. He says, but in verse three, the last part, whose judgment? Speaking of these false teachers, these false prophets, their judgment now a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It can look like they're winning. It can look like they're taking over. It can look like they're leading a lot of people astray or in some way, and maybe we ought to join them. But he says, they're not winning. And their judgment is not lingering. It's not slumbering. It's here. It's coming. It's coming fast. He gives a couple of examples in verse four. He talks about how God spared not the angels that sin, but cast them down to hell, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved into judgment. God judged rebellious angels. There were angels that followed after Lucifer. We understand this from Isaiah 14. I believe that's what Peter is referring to here. And Jesus told us in Matthew 25 that he prepared hell for the devil and his angels. That's why they're prepared. That's why it's prepared. So God was glad to judge those angels when they, when they were trying to teach a false doctrine, a false teaching of somehow we can follow after Lucifer, and they, God said, no, not going to handle it. Verse 5, he goes on to say, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. God judged a rebellious world. You remember back in Genesis chapter 1, how did God characterize his world? Does anybody remember that? When he created this and that and the next thing, what did he say? It's good. It's good. I mean, it was good. I mean, when God says it's good, it's good. God knows what he's talking about. He created it. It was good. It was perfect in every way. But you go on over to about chapter 6 of of, of Genesis. By that point, it says that the, the thoughts and the intents of man's heart were only evil continually. Sin destroyed God's perfection. And in God's grace, he sent a preacher by the name of Noah Noah was a true prophet of God but Noah was rejected and so you know what God did he sent a flood wiped out every human being on the planet except for eight which was Noah and his family God was quick to judge that rebellious world he also in verse 6 he reju- judged a rebellious city. He turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that that after should live ungodly. God saw what Sodom and Gomorrah was all about, and they were full of sin, and he wiped them off the map. To the point that I believe, my opinion, take this for what it's worth, that you have a geological oddity in Israel at this moment as a result, the Dead Sea, as a result of Sodom and Gomorrah and his destruction of that. That's my opinion. You can take that as, you know, that and a nickel will get you a nickel, I think. But uh, anyhow, take that for what it's worth. But the point is that God wiped them off the map. You can't find those if you had to right now. And Jesus said in Luke 10, it would be more tolerable for those people who suffered through Sodom. Than those who would reject his kingdom. I've heard it said before that if God doesn't judge this world for their sin, he's gonna have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's true. Thing is, I can promise you, God ain't apologizing for nothing. So the point is, there's rebellion rebellion and God will judge it. But look at what he does in verse 5. Excuse me, in verse um, excuse me, verse 7. I've I've lost my place there. Verse 7. But he also, remember, remember in Sodom and Gomorrah, there was a man named Lot. Here, Peter refers to him as just Lot, just as in a good man, a righteous man. Just Lot. And he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Lot was living among these people, and he was vexed by them. He was tormented, worn down by them, pressured by them. I, I kind of identify with Lot a little bit. You ever feel that way? And I I mean that in the the best sense of it, in that you're trying to stand against it, but also mean it in the worst sense of it. Sometimes you find yourself giving in a little bit to it. Like, yeah, it's maybe not that bad anymore. I think that's where Lot was. In fact, if you've ever remembered the story of Lot, they find him, Abraham finds him. He's like, he's one of the, he's like on the city council. I mean, he's one of the big dogs in, in Sodom because he's vexed. There's pressure, just kind of conform, push and pressure. And he's—I can imagine if Lot was truly just, and the Bible says he was, so I can't argue the place, argue the point. I can imagine he probably pushed back for a little bit, but there was a point where he just, like, oh man, this is a Lot. This is a lot. But God, it says here that and he delivered Lot even though he was vexed. He goes on in this parenthetical thought in verse 8, that for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. This has given us an insight into Lot. If you look at Genesis and just look at Lot from that perspective, I don't know if he's much of a, a good guy. But listening to this, I'm hearing what the Holy Spirit told Peter to write, and I believe that Lot was a man who was a good man living in a wicked city And he's influenced by that wicked city. Y'all can look as pious as you want to, but y'all are good people. I mean this, and I mean this sincerely. Y'all are good people, but you're influenced by this world. You can argue, oh, no, I'm not. I'm going to stand strong, and we're going to try. I'm going to try, you're going to try, but we are vexed in this world. It is going to influence and oppress and push and shape us and form us to the day that I can guarantee you, guarantee I won't be here, I won't be here to collect this bet so we can take this bet, i will be fine. But in a hundred years, if the Lord tarries his coming, you come back to McConnell Road Baptist Church, and I believe that this is God's church, it'll continue on up in a hundred years from now, but you know, I think it'll look a little different. Some of y'all will look at it and say, I can't believe them youngins, what they're doing, And you might be right. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that this pressure, this world changes us and it vexes us. And that's what these false teachers are doing. But he says there that the Lord, in verse 9, knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. And I believe that's exactly what he did to Lot. Remember, he sent Abraham in there. Took him out of there. I mean, he had to grab him and rip him out of there. He lost his wife in the process because she turned around and looked back and turned into salt. But But God Almighty saved Lot and his family out of that terrible situation. Because what God does is he protects his own from the rebellion. He also did the same thing for Noah as we talked about already. But ultimately, what I want you to hear me say and what the Bible, I believe, is telling us is that God will win. That's what he said. Look at verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust into the day of judgment to be punished. He will deliver his people. We are looking forward to that day. I'm as sure as I know how to be sure that there will come a day very soon that the Lord will call us home to glory. It may be by the grave for some of us, but I believe that we will be taken out of here. According to First Thessalonians, I believe that I will be taken up. I will be taken out of here. I believe that that's going to happen one day because God is going to deliver his people. He saves his people. But he's also going to, without a shadow of a doubt, he will punish the wicked. Especially those, as he says in verse ten, and chiefly them that walk after the lust of the flesh, after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Especially those, especially those who pursue the lust of the flesh. Especially those, he says, that despise government, those that hate authority, that they want to be their own authority. That's exactly describing those that are bringing the damnable heresies in. I, I, I want you to. I want you to understand that as bad as that sounds, those, those terrible people bringing those terrible things, God will win. I'm closing with this thought. These facts, these truths that you just heard out of Second Peter, they should motivate some confidence in you as a believer in the truth of God's word. Scripture's not made up. Scripture has been established for a long time. It's not based on my ideas your interpretation it's from god and because of that we should now be on alert to the pernicious ways of the false teachers if you didn't know it the devil is a liar jesus even said he was the father of it he's a liar and the bad news is, I mean, I know some of us, we say we can't stand a liar, which I can't stand a liar. But you know what I hate more than a liar? It's somebody who lies, and I think they told me the truth. That's the word. I mean, go ahead and lie to me. As long as I can figure it out, we're okay. I know, mean, okay, that's a liar. I'll leave him alone. But I hate it whenever I think you're telling me the truth. I think you're my friend. I think you're on my side. I think you're trying to help me. I think you're trying to do me right. And that's what the devil presents himself all the time as. We need to be on alert to these pernicious ways, and he motivates believers and unbelievers and all kinds of people to do this sort of thing. We need to be on alert. God is true, and every man may be a liar, but God is true. So we have one source of truth, and it's not what comes out of my mouth, it's what comes out of God's mouth. We have that. And we need to be on the lookout for the souls of our brothers and sisters. Because there are people sitting in these pews, as I mentioned, they're watching and listening and hearing and reading and being influenced. You are too, but we need to help each other, strengthen each other. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is coming soon. This world's going to vex you. It might have been vex some of y'all today. But the Lord's going to deliver you promise you that. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ and the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilly, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.